Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 145 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Brad Johnson about the parallels between independent financial advising firms and small law firms, and trying to figure out why it's so challenging for financial advisors to build referral networks with lawyers. Today's podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists, and it's smart, charming receptionists who are perfect for small firms. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Clio Legal Practice Management Software. Clio makes running your law firm easier. Try it for free today at clio.com. So Sam, I'm excited that we have officially launched our Lawyerist Insider subscription platform. Platform offering? Yeah, I think platform. Platform offering? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. It's been so much hard work, and I'm thrilled to just throw it out there to the world now. Yeah, we've spent a few podcast episodes in a row now talking about tribes and how important it is for us to have kind of found and built our tribe, both using this podcast and our TBD events. And I think this is the next step in that evolution um, to try and bring more cool lawyers into the fold as lawyerist insiders. Yeah, like we're introducing you to the tip of the iceberg, which is the lawyerist insider community. And you can sign up for it right now on Lawyerist. You can go to lawyerist.com slash insider and learn more. What you get right now is you get to join the community and you get to, that, that means you get to join the tribe at what we've been talking about of innovative and entrepreneurial lawyers. As incentive, we'll give you access to our insider library, which is the tools and templates and resources that we have been putting on Lawyerist for a while and trying to keep updated and we're adding to it all the time. Our podcast guests throw things in there too. And so you'll see that stuff now. We're also offering a plus subscription where you can upgrade and get access to our more premium stuff that we've put uh, a ton of work into building ebooks and survival guides and things. And I've mentioned a few times in kind of this ongoing tribes conversation, a tribe I'm also involved in the Mastermind Talks group that we've had a number of podcast guests from. And Today's guest, Brad Johnson, is another member of that group. And what I'm really excited about from Brad's talk is a dirty secret of lawyerist of the last eight or 10 years that I think we haven't talked much about, which is a huge part of what started lawyerist was you and I having the realization that most law firms could learn more from non-law firm small businesses than they can from other law firms. And so we spent years trying to adapt kind of small business best practices and concepts for small law firms as they try to figure out how to become better businesses. Um, In part because 10 years ago, it was taboo to even call a small law firm a business. (laughs) Um, And I think we've started to change that part of the conversation. But one of the things that's really cool about today's conversation with Brad is looking at a very parallel industry in the financial advisor, financial planning world, and how they think about building businesses and marketing and client acquisition and client service in ways that I think is going to sound totally foreign to lawyers. And I think that's a problem for lawyers. Yeah. 
Uh, no, it's super interesting. Uh, I'm excited to get started with today's podcast. And But before we do, I forgot to mention one thing. <laughs> the other reason to sign up for The Insider, one of the other reasons, I mean, one reason is that we're going to try to find ways to continue adding value to the community over time. But one of the other immediate reasons is that small firm lawyers can join our private Facebook group, uh, which is largely replaces the old lawyerist lab forum that a lot of people have actually told me they miss. And so here's where it is. It's on Facebook. And in order to get access to it, you need to become an insider. So that said, I won't add anything more. <laughs> Let's hear from Brad. I'm Brad Johnson. Uh, my technical title is VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, but I guess if you really want to know what we do on a daily basis, we help financial advisors design their ideal practices. So that typically starts with marketing, leads to their appointment process as far as how clients go through their firm, and then hopefully gets to a point of how do we help them scale, hire, build out an infrastructure where they're really more of a CEO as opposed to a salesperson. So high level, that's what we do, Sam. When you, uh, hi, Brad, and thanks for being with us. So when you say financial advisors, are you talking about mostly solos or mostly small, um, very small practices? Or what does the typical client look like? Or what does the typical financial advisor or wealth planner look like? The easy answer is probably a lot like the audience of lawyers here, everything. <laughs> um, so so, so um, for us, our niche really in the financial services space, our clients are independent financial advisors. Uh, so they're not working for Ed Jones, Merrill Morgan, they're Joe Smith advisor firm. Mm -hmm. So they, they are typically their own entrepreneurs. Uh, most of them start probably like most of, of the audience here starts as a solo practitioner, uh, maybe a couple staff. And then as the firm grows, as they have success, some of our biggest clients might have four, five, six, eight different advisors in the firm with a fairly massive staff to support them. Okay. So yeah, that, that looks a lot like probably a lot of the people who are listening. So um, I think there's a lot of overlap. So maybe it would be interesting to talk a little bit more about um, how they do build business. I mean, you've talked about your services as sort of um, baby steps from the beginning all the way to being the CEO. But what, is, what does that path look like as far as marketing and getting clients? It's it's such a complicated question, but it's such a simple question. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the th one of the things that we do is we teach our clients how to think about how they drive revenue through their firm. And what what's crazy is when you start out, you're just trying to survive, and so you're you're really you're the janitor. You're the, you're the receptionist. I'm mean, uh, not quite to that level, but you're pretty much doing everything. And so as we teach firms how to scale, as we teach an advisor how to scale, it really, I'm guessing it's fairly similar to an attorney or to a lawyer, is really there's only two things. I mean, I've, this is dealing with firms that bring in, our one of our top clients will bring in 150 million plus of organic assets this year. Some of our smaller offices, three, four million of organic assets. So mm -hmm. these are these are large firms. And on both sides of that spectrum, they still only make money two ways. And that's number one, to be sitting in front of a new prospect across the desk from them that's qualified. And number two, to be serving an existing client that still drives revenue to their firm. Anything outside of that, if you really break it down to the bare bones, is costing them money if it's on their, if it's on their schedule or on their to-do list. Hmm. So we start there. We start with how do you maximize revenue to the firm and then how do you build a team around you that removes all of those obstacles that get in your way as an advisor 
basically takes it off your plate, if that makes sense. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it sounds like there are definitely some similarities, but also, um, but also some dis- differences in the way that uh, financial advising works. I mean, it's it's much more explicitly about advising rather than delivering solutions, maybe. I, I'm curious. I, lawyers have many lawyers have a hard time. Uh, none of our listeners, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> but many lawyers have a hard time thinking about their their practices as a business. And I'm wondering if that is also true for financial planners and wealth advisors. Is it a challenge to get them to think about what they're doing as a business as well as a profession or a service? Um, uh, or is that just something that comes more easily? No, I, I think you're spot on, Sam. I think it's also how how you wind up in this role. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure, obviously, in a, a lawyer, you spend a lot more time in school uh, to get to where you're at. But I, I think what's interesting is I, I think it's similar with an attorney and with a financial advisor. It's really surviving when you first start. It's how do I start to fill the calendar with people that I can give my advice to that will pay for it? And what I find is a lot of the mentality, a lot of the things that put a glass ceiling on your practice are because you're just constantly, you're hunting, you're hunting for new clients, right? And, and I think probably attorneys, a lot of that's referral based, a lot of financial advisors, it's the same way. But when you actually start to view your firm and you basically step out of sales role or face to face, uh, attorney role, and you say, I'm now officially the CEO of a company how would I build this infrastructure to start to maximize revenue? Mm-hmm. And when you and when you start to see some of the things we call them constraints that are getting in the way of filling your calendar and start to identify those and get the team members in place to take those things off your plate, that's where we really start to see firms scale at a fast level. Interesting. So I guess my, my tip there, just to clarify, yeah. would be view yourself, even, as, even though you're an attorney and even though that's what you get paid for, view yourself as the CEO of a firm. Yeah. And view it through that lens and you'll start to, I think, make some of those breakthroughs. Very cool. Let me move over to what I am also really interested in talking about is kind of the, the interaction between estate planning lawyers specifically, but but maybe more broader categories of practices like real estate and stuff and financial planners and wealth advisors. You know, a lot of the advice I, I hear being given to estate planning lawyers in particular is go make friends with financial planners, right? Because they can refer hmm. business to you. And so I'm curious to hear you talk about what does that look like from the other side? How do financial planners and wealth advisors think about lawyers when it comes to building their own businesses or extending their own referral networks? Mm, how, do, a, how do lawyers come in? Huh. This, is a, this is a little bit of a loaded question, but I'll just answer well, it honestly. Let's I hit want, all the loading I want parts. I to serve your audiences at the <laughs> highest level I can. So, so it, one of the biggest frustrations in a lot of financial advisors' worlds are a good attorney relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and here, I'm just going to give you the financial advisor's perspective that I've been hearing for the last decade. I send Joe attorney down the road, I, I send him 20 referrals a year and I get none back. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that. How? And it's this code that they most financial advisors have a really tough time cracking is, why is this a one-way street? Why, why does it not come back the other way? And we do, we do have some guys that have cracked that code, but yeah. yeah. Well, let me get to the beginning of that. First of all, so, so is financial advisors or do I, should I be calling financial advisors, financial planners? Is that interchangeable? Does it matter? Yeah. I mean, I essentially, I guess, let me define what I see as a a financial advisor. 90% of our clients are 
securities licensed, so either dealing with a broker-dealer or their own RIA, registered investment advisor, where they're charging a fee to manage assets. And then many of them are also doing insurance planning, which is going to be life insurance and annuities for retirees, building a building mm-hmm. a portfolio or a, or a financial plan. Some guys sell those financial plans. Some guys just get paid on the fees or the commissions on the other side and, and build their plans for free when people come on board. Gotcha. So that's what, I, what I'm okay. using. So, um, so you, should, should I call those financial advisors or financial planners? Let's go with advisors. Okay, deal. <laughs> um, so l- let me back up to where we were after that digression. Financial advisors need lawyers because their clients need to get things done and they need lawyers to get those things done, right? So it's not really a question they're going to be sending business to lawyers. Very true. Or do they have alternatives? Well, I mean, I, I guess it depends. I mean, if if you have, and I think maybe this is the frustration for your audience, they don't know what kind of financial advisor they're dealing with. And my guess is it's a trust issue mm-hmm. on the attorney side. And so, Oh, I'm not so have, sure about that. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe not. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I think the issue is there's sales guys. I mean, there's people that are just straight selling for commission. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's people that are just managing assets. And I think what's interesting where we've really found a niche with our clients is holistic independent advising where Maybe the best analogy I can make is they're not they're not working for a tool company and saying we just offer hammers. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're specialized in hammers. Come in here, buy your best hammer. They're working for Home Depot, where if you want to build a home, they've got access to every single tool available in the marketplace based on the the need or what the client wants. They're now rummaging through the toolbox and saying we think these three tools put together in a cohesive plan are going to meet that need and give you a written plan for success. So to segue, where does the attorney come into that? Our very best advisors are our most holistic advisors. And a solid financial plan should involve obviously financial planning, but it's also going to involve estate planning and it's also going to involve tax planning. So really the the best offices, the most successful offices we have is it's a one-stop shop. The prospect wants to come in. They don't want to drive across town to an attorney, then leave there and have have their trust documents and now have to call their advisor and drive an hour across the other side of town to then have them work on a trust document that they don't even know how it works because they weren't involved with the attorney that put it together. Oh, and then by the way, once that's done, go drive over to the CPA's office that's another hour the other direction. What they would really prefer is go to one office one cohesive plan where all three parties interact and build a bulletproof plan that's going to get them where they want to go. I mean, I feel like I, I feel like what I'm hearing uh, underlying what you're saying is that working with lawyers is actually a pain in the ass for financial advisors, um, <laughs> and it's a and it's a very uh, it's a very prominent pain in the ass. Like it's it's something that they have to do and they have to figure out. And it's not just like a casual thing. It's like no, we this is a problem that we need to solve is how to have relationships with lawyers because your your financial advisors need to serve their clients well. And that means trying to deal with lawyers who are not easy to deal with. It sounds like I've seen it be the worst relationships. I've seen it be the best relationships. The the guys that have cracked the code. It's the most symbiotic mutually beneficial relationship you've ever seen. Well, so what does that uh, look like? Say more about what, when it when someone has cracked the code, what does the relationship look like? A good example, one of our top clients on the East Coast. So first off, it starts with the advisor. Um, the advisor has to have a process. So so that's one of the things we coach on a lot. And this, I think, also applies to attorneys. So this might be, be good advice here, too. Mm-hmm. 
is we talk we talk a lot about process absolutely so yeah same deal so in financial services a lot of advisors struggle because they just they're a commodity i mean that's Mm -hmm. the truth and i think attorneys a lot of them are commodities it's like i can go get my estate plan anywhere i want the ones that truly rise above that and are the only answer in town are the ones that have a proprietary process specific to their firm i'll give you an example in our world that might be i've got the xyz retirement blueprint it's our five-step process to take you from uncertainty and, and not being able to spend with confidence to a written income plan for success to get you to and through retirement. So, so that might be the value proposition a financial advisor makes. We've simplified the complex. It's a five-step process. You come in, meet with us. We ask you a lot of questions and we start to custom build the plan that's going to fit you. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to where have I seen this work really well? a financial advisory office that see that has this. So they have a very clear plan and a very clear process they take their clients through. Once again, back to what is a successful financial plan, two of their five worlds both involve attorneys. So one is the tax planning aspect. So they do income planning, they do investment planning. World number three for them is tax planning. World number five is legacy and estate planning. So they actually got this to such a level, they recruited an attorney that offices in their office. And now when it gets to step five, it's walk across the hallway and let Mr. Attorney finish up step five of your financial plan. So it's just a referral back and forth relationship where he's actually integrated right into their process. Gotcha. We need to take a couple minutes to hear from our sponsors. And I want to pick right up where we left off when we come back on. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Ruby Receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me, and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone, which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. You could invest in marketing your firm, you could spend more time helping clients in need, or you could catch your daughter's soccer game. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With Clio, tracking time, billing, and matter management are fast and easy, giving you more time to focus on what really matters. And Clio is a complete practice management platform with plenty of tools and over 50 integrations to help you automate daily tasks such as document generation and court calendaring. See how the right software can make it easier to manage your practice. Try Clio for free today at Clio.com. Okay, Brad, so you make it sound like the the ones who really crack the code are even in the same building with the lawyers so that from the client's perspective, they're basically working with one entity. Is that right? In this particular case that I'm referencing? Yes. Um, Not always. Um, Actually, most times not, Um, which goes back to the frustration for most financial advisors. The frustration is they might send referrals. I I find most of them have their guy, Mm -hmm. their attorney that they send most of their estate planning because they trust them. They they build a a good plan. Um, But what typically happens is that tends to be short lived if it's a one way street. So if it's 
I sent this guy 20 referrals. He didn't send me one back at all last year. I'm going to go down the street to his competitor. I'm going to start to send him referrals. Now, if he starts to reciprocate, now that's a relationship that starts to go down that path that we're talking about. Well, it sounds like uh, part of what's going on here, if I'm catching what's underlying it, is, two, you're treating the lawyers that you work with as if they're a part of the same culture that's governed by the same mission and values that you've built your financial advising firm on. And then you're, you're looking for lawyers who are willing to um, integrate and participate in that same environment. Yeah. And you know, now that I just really think about this, I think the biggest issue, Sam, is most attorneys, at least the ones that I've, I've heard stories on through our clients is I think a lot of attorneys just don't market. And so maybe they don't have the referrals to be able to send back because, because maybe all of their work, their business flow or their client flow, I should say, is coming through relationships like this, which is, hey, I get five referrals from this advisor, five from this one, five from this one. And I obviously can't send this financial advisor over to this other financial advisor. I can't obviously cross refer there. Well, and I think another piece of it might be that um, a lot of lawyers don't have the kind of systems that that it sounds like financial advisors, at least some of the more successful ones that you're working with, are building. And And it's if you have a highly systematic financial advising practice and you try to work with a lawyer who doesn't have any systems in place and is just flying by the seat of their pants, that's just a bad fit. And maybe one indication of it is that there are no referrals coming back the other way. But my guess is that client service is not up to standards either. That's that's a huge part of it. Yeah, Sam. So basically, if I'm a financial advisor and I'm sending somebody referrals and then I check in a week later and nothing's happened. Mm-hmm. Ma- yeah, massive issues there. Which is interesting because, uh, you know, we we absolutely, we try to teach lawyers that the importance of having systems and having a proven or proprietary or whatever process, a, a way of delivering a, a level of client service that is predictable and um, is going to get you your high net promoter scores and, um, and things like that. Um, but a lot of lawyers aren't. A lot of lawyers are not at that level yet. And so maybe, I guess maybe part of it is following the same sort of a process and looking for referrals in both directions as you would in hiring. You know, you, you look for somebody who really fits into the, the kind of mold that you're trying to mold your own company into. How, how, I'm curious, how, how big is client, the actual client experience for a lot of attorneys that are either listening to the, to the show or maybe you guys have interacted with over the years? Is that a big focus? Wait a second. This is my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious Um, because I might have some insight here that could help. I don't know. No, I think think client experience is just beginning to be the kind of focal point for lawyers. I, I I think a lot of lawyers are still waking up to the idea that they're running a business, not just a professional services firm. Um, and I think lawyers who already know they're running a business and, and a lot of the lawyers, hopefully, who are listening to this um, understand that there is such a thing as client experience and it's different from the, the paternalistic idea of we tell clients what they need and then we give it to them on our own terms in the way that we think is best, um, which is a very, very different mentality from trying to design a client experience to really enhance the relationship and deliver consistent quality and consistent satisfaction, those sorts of things. So I think it's a newer concept for many lawyers, um, but I think a lot of lawyers um, who come to our conference, TBD Law, um, and who've joined the Lawyerist Insider are the kind of lawyers who who get that and are thinking beyond just their professional obligations or just a straight up paternalistic idea of I'm going to give you the, the legal results that you need and that's it. 
I might have some insight there that, I mean, if we're talking about referrals, one of the biggest, one of the biggest leverage points I've found there is what is your actual client experience? Mm -hmm. What, what's that life cycle look like where people are just like raving about you? Right. Um, so if you want me to go in there, I, I could definitely share some things that I've seen some of our advisors do that really stand out and, and keep them from being that commoditized. I can go see a financial advisor on every single street corner. Yeah. I'd like to hear more about that because I think there's some parallel there. And I'm also interested to know if, uh, the, the concept of net promoter score is making inroads in the financial advising world, because that's something that we talk about a lot with lawyers of the importance of sort of measuring client satisfaction in a, in a simple way, but also in a really effective way. Uh, so on the net promoter, almost non-existent. I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I mean, why wouldn't you ask people how their experience was with you? Right. And if they would tell other people about it. So I'm, that's something I'll take from this conversation. I think that's huge. Uh, A couple of things for me over, over the last 10 years that have been huge is starting to look at one of my, one of my favorite phrases is you can't always outspend your competition, but you can out experience them. Mm -hmm. And I think even just getting started, if you're a solo practitioner, you can still do a lot of that cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's a friend of mine, Joey Coleman. He was actually at the same conference that Aaron and I were at, uh, Mastermind Talks. And he's got a concept called the first 100 days. And just high level, go check out his, he's actually re- writing a book. So it'll be coming out and whoever wants can read that. But uh, high level, when they really dug in, they found that the experience in the first 100 days of any business really dictates whether or not that client will be with you five years later. Hmm. So as long as you get the first 100 days right, they'll almost always be with you five years later. So some of the cool things a lot of our clients have done as you walk into the office, the reception area, you want that to feel just like any other high net worth experience. So like a country club experience, a Mercedes Benz dealership, Ritz Carlton type of experience. So some simple things that anyone can do. Or at least least a deliberate experience that's tailored to the kinds of clients that you want to have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're in niche, like I only want to work with 30 year old males, probably set it up like a sports bar in a lounge. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but if you, if you typically work with low income people, you know, the Ritz Carlton might not be the right, (laughs) the right feel for your firm or it might be, I don't know, but great point. It might, might be all virtual. Who knows? Um, so, so some simple things though. and, And I guess if I'm off base here, we can we can send the conversation in another direction, but have a drink menu. Mm -hmm. So when somebody sits down, we call it a director of first impressions. They come out from behind the desk, you know, Mr. Jones, would you like the, the Americano like last time, or would you like to switch it up? Here's the hot drinks on this side, cold drinks on the other fresh baked cookies, just like creating a very welcoming, warm experience where they're cool to hang out there and actually enjoy their time. Um, there, there's all kinds of things you can go from there, but having a very intentional first 100 days where, it's also follow-up, personal video emails, things like bombbomb.com, where you can actually send a personal video. Hey, had a great time in the first appointment. was great to connect, just so you know our team's working on building out that estate plan that we talked about. You'll hear from us in the next couple of days. You're, you're talking about having a, a coherent client experience that you're trying to create, which is probably, if you have written in mission and values for your company, your firm is probably one of them. And then when you when you think about what do we want the waiting room experience to be like, what do we want the website experience to be like, you refer to that customer experience and that informs the decisions that you make. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. And, and it's something that 
I think lawyers who are sort of woke <laughs> to <laughs> to the current and future direction of business and law practice are are thinking about that. And it, it's huge. I think it's having a branded, definite customer experience, client experience is a really important thing. So I've got one other that could be, I think, really huge for your audience, but I want to make sure it's compliant. Obviously, we deal with a lot of that <laughs> yeah. in financial services. So do attorneys have gifting limits just like financial advisors do? Gifting is, uh, yes. I mean, there, there are some okay. restrictions on what lawyers can do to give gifts to each other and to clients, but um, but there's some flexibility for sure. So a very, one that we have complied, so I'm guessing that it's very stringent just like your guys' industry, but a simple one, uh, another guy, John Rulin, wrote a book called Giftology, and it's how do you intentionally gift something and make this part of that first 100 days experience, right? Mm-hmm. And, and let's say you met with a family that now they're you're building an estate plan that should last generations, hopefully. And so a thoughtful gift, maybe it's at the completion of that, we do a lot of high-end cutlery mm-hmm. where it's actually, it says on the blade, handcrafted for the family of Brad and Sarah Johnson. Oh. And so you could deliver that <laughs> with the actual finished trust and say with a personal handwritten note that says something to the effect of, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, I just wanted to write you a thank you note for, I mean, this is a little corny, but you can go whatever direction you want with this for, quote, carving out the time, end quote. <laughs> for our, for, now, granted, it might be too corny for some people, but I'm just giving you some ideas. Sure. Uh, for carving out the time to sit down with this and craft a document that will, that will uh, influence your family for generations, we wanted to bestow this high-end piece of cutlery to create amazing family experiences around the kitchen table for generations to come. It's been an honor serving you. Something nice. like that. Yeah. But now you're you're like, I mean, what are they where do you entertain? The kitchen. You're using the cutlery every day, right? Who gave that to you? Oh, that's actually my attorney, Sam. He's yeah, he's amazing to work with. Creating those conversations that keep going after the work is done. You know, I gifts gifts are are a big thing and and being able to say thank you and and delivering something uh, a friend of ours, Matt Homan, um, has talked about, you know, what's more valuable, a $10 teddy bear or a $5 teddy bear or a $10 gift certificate to Starbucks, right? It's the $5 teddy bear, especially if you um, give it to a client who whose kid came in uh, and you've you've given the kid a $10 teddy bear. That's worth way more than the gift certificate, even, even though they're the same value. But we've also talked with a receptionist company, and, and I think people will just have heard a sponsored segment about them, but they have built a culture of giving into the company, and everyone there has an allowance, and they can just go on Amazon and buy gifts for people mm. to say thank you. Or um, or because while answering the phone, they've uncovered evidence of a, a life change that maybe calls for a gift. And um, I think uh, that's huge if you can get it right or if you can imbue your firm with the culture of gift giving, especially because like if somebody has just made you $5,000, spend 50 on them, you know, (laughs) like you can, you can do that. Uh, As long as you can ethically do that, it's totally worth saying thank you in a meaningful way. So, oh, it's, yeah, that's huge. Let me see if I can tie this up um, and bring us back a little bit towards where we started. Financial advisors struggle to work with lawyers. And some of that is, it sounds like to me, is because lawyers are not, when there's a culture uh, mismatch, when you've got a a financial advisor that is um, building in systems and trying to create a client experience um, and a lawyer isn't, it's really hard for the two of them to work together in a way that's going to bring satisfaction to 
the two firms, but also to the client that's going back and forth. Lawyers who want to take advantage of referrals from financial advisors, it sounds like, should be doing some of the same things. Um, and in order to do that, they should be saying thank you. They should have a, a culture of client experience, but maybe a referral experience as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, I think just bottom, thank you. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's, it's, it's So think about it this way. I mean, I don't know in what an estate plan is worth to uh, an office and a lawyer's office, guessing it's decent money. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how many financial advisors will literally send an attorney 20 referrals and nothing back, not a thank you. It's just like, almost like, okay, cool. Yeah. We'll process the paperwork. Yeah. And so, you know, if you look at the, the free revenue, basically walking in the door from that relationship, almost treating them like one of your most beneficial vendors because they truly are. So at, at the least, thank you. And taking them out to lunch, maybe, you know, once, once a month or something. But I think like if you really wanted to nail down that source of revenue for your firm, is getting strategic and saying, Hey, you know, Mr. Advisor, I, number one, I just want to say thank you for all, all of the business you've been sending our way. It shows that you trust us at a high level to refer your clients over to us. I'm curious, what could we be doing on our side to make this a win-win both ways? Mm -hmm. How could we integrate into your planning model to make this super seamless for your client base? And we're not talking about sharing revenue. We're talking about like trying to help your referral source make more referrals by giving them something that they can depend on and by making sure that if nothing else, they're satisfied with what their clients get when they come to you. Yeah. And what's interesting is some of those relationships have evolved into a sharing of revenue yeah. where the trust factor has gotten so high, just like that story I was telling a little while back, one of our top clients, the trust factor got so high that attorney is literally integrated into their business model now and does share some revenue. Hmm. So a whole nother revenue source that wasn't even coming in for that attorney is now coming in because of that relationship getting to such a high trust level. Very cool. So, um, so if there's one thing you could say to lawyers, like what, what's the thing you've been dying to say to lawyers who've been frustrating you and your clients over the years? <laughs> Go Man, ahead, gonna, let it out. I'm going like, to stir up this whole pot of attorneys. At, at, <laughs> no, like no, no, let worst, it out. <laughs> that's like the worst group that you ever want to offend. We, we can take it. <laughs> um, two things. So first, recognize that for many of you, this is an amazing revenue stream that literally you don't have to work that hard for to just basically open up the floodgates for financial advisors in your market to send you lots and lots of business because they are having to market and all every single one of their clients needs an estate plan. Mm -hmm. So, so that would be the first thing is just recognize that it's, it's a free pile of money just sitting right there in front of you that all you have to do is bend over and pick it up, assuming you just are thoughtful about it. Number two, once you identify those key people in your marketplace, start thinking about them a little bit more and saying, hey, this is a good relationship we got going here. How could, just like a marriage, how could we make this more beneficial for both parties? Are there some things both firms could be doing to make it more seamless for the clients we're serving? Which is a win for you because you keep clients longer from an attorney standpoint. It's a win for the financial advisor as well. And I'm, I'm just going to trying to wrap us up with one thing that I have heard from lawyers. I've heard estate planning lawyers say, sure, I get a bunch of referrals from financial advisors, but um, they rarely complete their estate plan or, you know, they don't do it in any timely way or whatever. They're, they're bad referrals, in other words, is basically what I, I, I've heard. Um, and the admonishment that I would make to those lawyers is that, is that that's on you, like that you need to figure out how to close those 
referrals and convert them into paying clients. And, you know, I, I think if, <laughs> if a financial advisor is sending you clients and they're not getting their estate planning done, then I think they're probably going to start setting that business elsewhere. Um, um, Sam, you just, you just, I'm glad you said that in passing because you just uncovered something that's massive there. Yeah. So, so going back to this, this relationship where it's working like, like to the highest level I've ever seen. One of the benefits that this financial services firm does for that attorney, they actually have a full-time staff member that retitles assets. So once that trust work is done, they go back over to the financial advisor's office, they sit down with one of their staff members, they go through all of those bank accounts and everything that needs to be retitled, and they actually put that in place where that's part of the process. So it actually covers both parties at a much higher level because obviously one of the biggest risks for an attorney is you build this amazing estate plan and then nothing ever happens with it because none of the assets get yeah, retired. That may, I mean, that makes a ton of sense, right? Leverage the relationship the financial advisor already has to make sure that the consumer gets the work done on your end once they come to you. Yeah, I mean, for an attorney, what better thing to have a free employee that retitles all of your client's assets to fund your trusts and you don't have to do anything other than find the right financial advisor that's willing to do the work. So that might that might be a good question out there for attorneys looking to establish that relationship because as long as the referrals are coming back the other way from the attorney, I'm going to I'm going to venture to say most financial advisors would sign up for that deal in a heartbeat. Well, and if it's not obvious enough by this point, um, relationships, 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 right? Build relationships with the financial advisor or with anybody in your network, uh, with anybody in your referral network who can, uh, who is sending you business and um, figure out how to do a better job of, of serving that, those clients, but also of working with them to expand that and giving them what they need in return. It's not, you know, I, I, I really hate the idea of a purely transactional relationship. I will send you business, you send me business, but that should be a part of it. And so figuring out how to make that work by focusing on the relationship first, um, I think is a really important thing. So build those relationships and, and lawyers, if, if people are sending you business, my God, say thanks. If nothing else, say thanks. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a simple advice yeah. sometimes, Sam. <laughs> well, Brad, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, and for the insight into the side of uh, the estate planning relationship that is the financial advisor, but also I think there's some, there's a lot of information for lawyers to learn from the way financial advisors build their practices, which sounds very similar in some ways to the way lawyers do and where they need to be focused. So thanks a lot for being with us today. Thanks, Sam. It's been fun. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.